You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Well, hey, we are in a, a brand new series called Promised Land, and we've been walking through uh, really the promises that God made to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 6. And, and, and we've been talking about the fact that even though God made those promises to the nation of Israel, he actually makes those promises to you and to me in Jesus. And I was thinking about the message this week. I was thinking about my experience at the grocery store. I don't love to go grocery shopping. Some of you might like grocery shopping. Most men that I know don't enjoy the grocery shopping experience. I think if purgatory was real, it would be called Walmart. Okay, I mean, I'm just kind of there. And so, like, I've had this experience. Maybe you've had this experience. Have you ever gone to the grocery store, and the thing that you're looking for is, like, up high on a shelf, out of reach? Have you ever experienced that? Like, you go to some of the big ones, and the guy's like, I'll go get the forklift. And you're like, why, why, why does it need a forklift to get what I want to get. That's why I love places like Aldi, right? I mean, I'm an Aldi guy. Like, it's not a big store. You can't get lost. I can see over most of the shelves. And I've never been there, and something was out of reach, right? So I'm, I'm an Aldi kind of guy. And I was thinking about that this week because we as a church are kind of like an Aldi-style church. Uh, uh, at Aldi, you have to put a quarter in and get your own you know, cart and push it around. And we might ask you to help set up and tear down and serve here. So we're a little more labor intensive at the church. But we try to keep things accessible. We try to keep things easy. Uh, so every time I, on Sunday morning as I'm presenting God's word to you, one of my goals is to try to keep things kind of lower on the shelf. Uh, I look at it this way. If you leave confused, I haven't done my job. Uh, not saying that you never leave with questions or wanting to know more, but if you go, I, that sounded really spiritual, but I have no idea what it means. I have no idea how that applies to my life. I, I feel like I didn't do my job on a Sunday morning. But what I, I want to tell you this morning is the teaching that we have this morning is kind of a, a mid to high shelf teaching. If you don't have a lot of experience around the Bible or church, some of this might be new to you. Uh, we're going to talk about stuff that might shock you just a little bit this morning, and that's okay because it's all God's Word. But uh, we don't talk about this stuff every single week. This isn't the message we, we do every week. But to really get to what I think God wants to say to us this morning, we got to go uh, from the low shelf up to the high shelf. We might have to stand on our tippy toes this morning to, to really grasp on to what we're talking about. Because uh, these are the promises that, that God gives uh, the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 6. If you want to turn on your Bible or open your Bible, uh, you're going to be in two places. So we're going to do a little Bible, you know, like flip the page. Exodus chapter 6 is where we're going to spend some time. And then we're going to go to Galatians 5. So one's Old Testament, one's New Testament. Uh, if you're firing up your phone, it'll be real easy. Packer fans, you can pretend to be looking at your Bible, but I know about noon you're checking the score, and I don't judge you. I just hope the Bears win this week. So Exodus 6, Galatians 5. There we go. So here's, here's the deal. God makes this promise. He says in, in Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 6, he says, Say there, therefore to the people of Israel, he's talking to Moses, he says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. So God makes a few promises to the nation of Israel. He says he's going to save them. He says he's going to provide them with freedom. 
He's going to give them a purpose, and he's going to give them a family. And every single one of these promises is found in the presence of God. This isn't apart from a relationship with him. It's because of who he is. And these things are kind of a byproduct of him being active and him being in their lives. Now, what I want you to know is God gives you and I those same promises in Christ, that he promises to save us, he promises to set us free, he promises to give us a purpose, and he promises to give us a family. But for the, the nation of Israel, uh, this is a huge moment in the nation of Israel, in their history. In fact, till this day, the nation of Israel talks about this. They celebrate this every year that God released them from slavery. And it's really a big deal because what happens is, is God calls Moses and tells Moses, I want to do this to the nation of Israel. I want to give them freedom. I want to save them. I want to set them free. I'm going to give them a purpose, an identity, and I'm going to give them a family. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and he, he says those big words that we all know. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. He's like, that's my, that's my workforce. That's my labor. Those are the people that build the monuments and the statues that I need. And so what God does is, is he, he sends Moses and tells him, listen, if he says no, then we're going to have to oppose the Pharaoh. Because listen, I want you to know this, that if you oppose God, you will always eventually lose. Like God has a long game. And so what God tells Pharaoh is that if he doesn't release the Israelites, he's going to send some plagues. He's going to send some judgment upon the entire nation until Pharaoh says, okay, I'm going to agree with God. And so we know from the Old Testament that he does these things. He sends these 10 plagues, and we're going to go through them quickly, that all the water in Egypt turns to blood. And that there's a, a, a swarm of, these are just gross me out, frogs, lice. The, the scripture literally says that the, the sand turns to lice. That's disgusting. Flies, the animals get sick and die. People break out in boils. There's hail, locusts, the darkness covers the land, and eventually all the firstborn sons in the nation of Egypt die. And finally, Pharaoh agrees to let the nation of Israel go. And so God is with them and he leads them. And he leads them miraculously by a pillar of smoke during the day. And a, a pillar of fire by night. So it's like, hey, God, where do you want us to go? He goes, just follow me. It's like Old Testament GPS. Follow the pillar of smoke and, and follow the, the pillar of fire. And then they get to the sea. And what happens is this Pharaoh decides he's mad now. So he comes against the nation of Israel with chariots and swords and an army. And by God's instruction, Moses parts the sea. The nation of Israel walks on dry land. They cross the sea. And literally, Pharaoh and his army are swallowed by the sea. And so not only does God set the nation of Israel free, he defeats their enemy. And it's interesting enough, if you want to go home and Google this, because Google's your friend, they've literally historically now found chariots and horses and people at the bottom of the Red Sea. And they say the only reason they're there is because somehow they were dry and then instantly it wasn't. And so this is miraculous, right? This is huge. The nation of Israel is free. Slavery is in the rearview mirror. Uh, Pharaoh's not even alive anymore. And they are on their way to freedom. They're on their way to the promised land, the land that God promised to Isaac and to Abraham and to Jacob. And he says, listen, all you got to do is follow me. 
And I want you to think about this. Salvation is always the beginning to freedom. When you know Jesus, when you know that he died in your place on the cross for your sin and that he rose again so that you might be saved, salvation is the beginning of freedom. See, listen, God doesn't just want to save the nation of Israel from Egypt. Personally, I think it would be cruel if God led them across the sea and then was like, figure it out. Like, you're on your own. Like, you're free. Do whatever you want to do. But instead, God says, no, 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 I have a land for you. I have a life for you. Because listen, this is a big idea. God doesn't just want to get his people out of Egypt. God wants to get the bitterness, the hopelessness, the love of idols, the love of evil. He wants to get the Egypt out of his people. That God's not just saving them from something, that God is saving his people to something, and he calls it the promised land. God has broken the chains of slavery physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. But the people don't fully realize it yet. See, what I want to know for, for you and for me this morning, you go, well, hey, we're, we're not the nation of Israel and we're not in Egypt, and you're right, but this is the way that Paul says it in Galatians 5.1. He says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. And you might go, hey, if I was in high school English, that's kind of a bad sentence, but Paul goes, no, no, the reason God set you free was for freedom. That God's heart for you is he doesn't want you to live in bondage. He doesn't want you to live chained up. He doesn't want you to be a slave. God set you free because God's heart is one that desires for his children and for his people to know freedom. But what that means for you and for me is that Jesus is a chain breaker. That he breaks the chains of slavery and bondage in your life and in my life. But what the scripture says the gospel is, is that, that God the Father so loved the world that he sent Jesus, his son, fully God, fully man, sinless, blameless, did nothing wrong, and yet he would willingly die as a sacrifice in your place, in my place, for our sin on the cross. So he absorbs the wrath of God that you and I deserve. He literally takes your sin and my sins, sins that we haven't even committed yet, and he places them on himself so that when he dies, your sin and my sin dies with him, and he takes the wrath and the judgment of God that we deserve, and he takes it upon himself. And so when he rises again on the third day, he rises victorious. He conquers death. Death has lost its sin. He's victorious over Satan that our spiritual enemy has been defeated and sin no longer enslaves us. Sin no longer keeps us from God because Jesus becomes greater than death. He becomes greater than Satan. He becomes greater than sin and he offers you and he offers me salvation, freedom, purpose, identity, and family. And see, just like God delivers the nation of Israel... He delivers you and he delivers me. He delivers us from sin. He delivers us from condemnation. He delivers us from guilt and from shame. He delivers us from disbelief. He delivers us from our bitterness and from our addiction 
He even delivers us from death itself. And see, Jesus has the power to set us free because he has power over death, power over Satan, power over our sin. And see, because of that, you and I can have freedom, that we're no longer slaves to sin. Sin no longer is a master over us. Did you know that if you're a Christ follower, the only authority the devil has in your life is the authority you give the devil? Like that you have been given freedom. Which kind of leads us to the point where we ask the question of, then how come I'm not experiencing that kind of freedom, right? Like how come I don't feel free? Well, it's interesting because the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 16, they're literally with God, walking from Egypt to the promised land. And Exodus 16 says that the nation of Israel is about two and a half months into their journey to freedom. And all of a sudden, they don't think freedom is so great. Uh, read it with me. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. The nation of Israel says the whole assembly, like no one was like, no, I'm good. Like I'm not with them. They're like, you know what? We kind of miss Egypt. And listen, I've had all kinds of barbecue in my life. I've had Memphis barbecue, North Carolina barbecue, South Carolina barbecue, Kansas City. I've had Texas barbecue. I've had Mongolian barbecue. I've even had Brazilian barbecue. I've never had Egyptian barbecue, and maybe it's that good, but I doubt it. I mean, that's literally their complaint. You know, what we, you know what we miss? We miss Egypt, where we were hopeless, where we were slaves. And you know what we miss about Egypt? The bread was really good, and so was the barbecue. And the nation of Israel little grumbles against God. And they're like, hey, God, we're not sure we want freedom anymore. Because we're in the desert, and you know what tastes and sounds really good right now? Bread and meat that comes from being in slavery. I say, hey God, we're hungry. But what our hearts really yearn for would be back in chains, to be slaves again. And see, that can happen in your life, in my life. Because you have to understand something about the human heart. I made a list here. I want to read it because I don't want to miss any, but this is kind of a synopsis of what the Bible says about your heart and my heart. It says that the heart of man is deceitful in Jeremiah 17, 9. It's full of evil, Mark 7, 21 to 23. It loves darkness rather than the light, John 3, 19. It does not seek God, Romans 3, 10 to 12. It is ungodly, Romans 5, 6. It is dead to sins, Ephesians 2, 1. And by a nature of the child of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. And cannot understand spiritual things, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. And is a slave to sin, Romans 6, 16 to 20. Our hearts have an appetite for evil. Our hearts have an appetite for spiritual 
slavery. This is why we can't follow our hearts. This is why one of the most dangerous things we can say in the church, we can say to one another, it's like, hey, girlfriend, just follow your heart. Or, hey, bro, you just do what you feel is right. Because what the scripture says is our heart will always lead us astray. Because our heart actually has an appetite for bondage and slavery and things that will destroy us. And see, just like the nation of Israel in the wilderness, God is leading them to freedom, but the battle for freedom is in their head and in their heart. It's the same for you and for me. The battle for freedom is in our head and it's in our heart. Because here's what I want you to know. Salvation is something that God does for us. It's free. Salvation is something that God does for us. Jesus did that work on the cross apart from us. But freedom is something that God does with us. Salvation is something that God does for us. But freedom is something that God does with us. Like you, would, you should tweet that, put that on social media. You should write that down. Salvation is something that God does for us. But freedom is something that God does with us. And I want you to know, I want to encourage you this morning, that every Christian who's ever lived has that battle inside of them. But Paul says it this way in Romans 17, 15 through 20. I'm just paraphrasing. He goes, I know what I should do, and I know what I shouldn't do. And he goes, but you know what? I constantly do what I shouldn't do. He goes, I know it's wrong, but I still do it. He says what his heart is. He says it's the sin and the evil inside of me that causes me to do the things I know I shouldn't do. He calls it the flesh. He goes, my heart yearns for things that are disobedient. You're in opposition to God. Here, here's what I want you to know. Jesus is a chain breaker. The devil, however, is a chain maker. Jesus breaks chains. Your spiritual enemy, the devil, creates chains. Now, this is where I talked about that it was going to be a little higher shelf this morning because one of the things you need to understand for your own safety, for your own health, for your own spiritual journey is that you have an enemy who is very real, and his name is the devil. And the devil not only opposes God, but he opposes God's people. And one of the devil's greatest strategies for your life and my life is, listen, he's never going to show up. And if he did show up, he's not going to be red and have, you know, pointed ears and a pitchfork. He's much more crafty than that. But what the scripture says in 2 Timothy 2.26 says that the devil literally creates snares for you. That he's like a master hunter. He likes to create traps and he likes to create snares. And what he does is he tries to entice you and he goes, listen, I want you to step into this or I want you to try that. And once he gets you, he gets a chain on you. See, what the devil does is he's in the business of setting traps and snares to entangle us and enslave us. But if the devil can get a hook in, it's kind of hard to get that hook out. And so what he tries to do is he tries to get as many hooks in you and in me as possible. And before we know it, while we're saved, we're once again slaves. And the scripture says, hey, be careful. And see, what the devil does is he, he sets these traps where he knows the desires of our hearts 
And the way he traps us and entices us is by trying to fulfill those desires. He tries to get us to satisfy those desires apart from the goodness and the will of God. What the devil always tries to do is he tries to get us to step into sin and disobedience. So it goes something like this where you make the decision, you go, hey, I, I really... I really want something. You know, I really need that upgrade. Or I really need that technology. Or I really need that house. Or I really need to get that new car. And the devil goes, hey, you should go into debt. No big deal. Just charge it. And you go, hey, that's no big deal. 20 bucks here, 50 bucks here, $1,000 there. I can take that loan and get that loan. And all of a sudden you go, I'm in debt. Hey, not, not am I just in debt. I'm so in debt, it's going to take me 100 years to get out of debt. You know what the scriptures say? They say that the debtor, the one who owns your debt, also rules over you. That the person in debt becomes a slave to the one they owe money to. You go, well, hey, you know what? It's been a, a tough week and I just need some rest or I just need some relief. And the devil goes, I, I got you. Just pop the bottle. Listen, I, I got a drink with your name on it. There's, there's a couple guys, Jack, Jimmy. Drink it. Hey, take, take the pills. And you go, well, you know what? I am a little stressed out. I, I could use a little bit of sleep. I could use a little bit of relief. And the doctor shows up and he says, hey, I got you. Let me soothe your soul with disobedience. Let me soothe your soul with things that will actually kill you and ensnare you. You go, well, listen, I just, I just, I have these desires and I just want to be sexually satisfied. And the devil rolls up and he goes, I got a website for that. Like, listen, you just go to www. It's free. The devil goes, hey, that, that guy or that girl at work, they seem kind of interested in you. Maybe you should have an affair. Like, maybe you should get a divorce. Maybe you should just sleep around. And you go, well, I don't know. I have the desire. Maybe, maybe I should. You start reading your Bible, and all of a sudden you see that there's things in there that conflict you, and the devil shows up, and he goes, hey, just change it. Like, isn't that an old book? Let's update it. Satan's favorite tactic is just like he did to Adam and Eve. He likes to go to people and go, but did God really say? Did he really mean? Can we update that translation? He loves to do that in our lives. Uh, somebody hurts you. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get bitter. I'm going to hate that person. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to treat them so bad, I'm never going to offer them forgiveness. I'm going to become bitter about them. I'm going to slander them. I'm going to gossip about them. And someday, when the moment's right, I'm going to get revenge on them. And the devil loves to get us to step into traps that are disobedient and sinful. Because the devil knows that if he can get us to sin, that he can begin to put chains on us that inhibit us from being free. See, one of the most dangerous things about freedom is freedom can become bondage. But I, I, I'm free to do that. Like, I, I'm free to have a drink from time to time. I'm, I, I'm free to have a conversation. I, I'm free to do these things. And you're right. You do have freedom. But the devil loves to twist freedom into bondage. So you go, well, how would I know if the devil has me in bondage anywhere in my life? It's simple. What can't you stop doing? What can't you stop doing? 
You go, well, I don't have to drink. Okay. Well, how long can you go for? A day? Two days? Three days? But if you can't stop, maybe you don't have control. Maybe it has control over you. You go, Pastor, I don't have a problem. I just like to look at that website. But can you stop? I mean, how many days can you go for? Do you have control? Or does it have control over you? You go, I don't have to gossip. Well, how long can you go without gossiping? I don't know, 5, 10, 15 minutes or until the next news comes up? Well, are you the master? Or is gossip the master over you? You go, I don't have a problem with my spending. You go, put the credit card away. And how long can you keep it put away for? Are you in control? Or does it have control over you? And see, I don't say that to, to try to make anybody feel bad. I don't say that to try to bring shame or condemnation on anybody. I just want to bring light into the darkness and go, listen, if there's things in our lives that we can't stop doing, then we have to ask the question, why? Why can't I stop? Why can't I get rid of this thing? Why am I constantly in this battle? Why am I constantly in this struggle? And could it be, would one possibility be for your life that you have an enemy who's actually got access to you because they put a chain of slavery on you? And the reason you can't stop is because you're not free. And that's what's going on with the nation of Israel is, is God's going, I need you not to just be people who don't live there anymore. I need you to be people who are free from there because God wants what's best for us. And here's the good news. Here's what I want you to know. We always discover our freedom in Christ. Freedom is always available. The problem is that, that you and I have to think about is that salvation is something God does for us, but freedom is something that God does with us where he goes, come on, follow me. Come on, come on, I'll lead you, I'll take you to, I'll show you the promises, I'll take you to the promised land. The question is how much grumbling and fighting and backstepping, how much do we love the slavery that he's trying to lead us from? Because God saves us, but he invites us to freedom. I want you to know that Jesus comes to set you free. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Now watch what he says next. He says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He goes, listen, I've set you free, but you have a role in this. You know what your role is? Stop going back to slavery. Like, I've set you free, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand in your freedom. He's like, so when your, your devil, the enemy, when he comes about and he tries to get you to step into the snare, you're going to know I'm just staying in my freedom. Like, I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm not going back to slavery. I'm not going back to the addiction. I'm not going back to the website. I'm not going back to the bottle. I'm not going back to the thing that wants to enslave me and kill me. I'm going to stand in the freedom that Christ obtained for me and is trying to give me and achieve in my life today. And friends, we experience freedom when we stand firm in and when we agree and we walk in joyful obedience to God in his word. This is what Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32. He says, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. 
So he goes, you know how you're saved? You know how you have a relationship with me? You abide in my word. And then watch what he says next. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth always leads us to freedom. It might convict us. It might hurt us a little bit. It might cause us to look in the mirror and not necessarily enjoy what we see. But the truth will always lead us to freedom. See, saying yes to God, saying yes to God's truth is an automatic no to the enemy, sin, and bondage. Jesus is going, listen, you don't have to constantly be like, is that a trap? Is that a trap? Is that a trap? Because no, no, no. You just become so aware of what the truth is that you'll avoid the trap. Because when the trap comes, you go, that's not the truth. That's not what God's word says. That's not what God desires for me. That looks a lot like Egypt. That looks nothing like the promised land. We become so aware of the truth that we're able to sniff out and detect the counterfeit. And God says, if you would abide in me, then the truth would set you free. Saying yes to freedom says saying no to bondage. Saying yes to freedom means saying yes to God in his word. See, one of the biggest mistakes we've made is we see God as a cosmic killjoy. We read the Bible and we're like, oh man, he says don't do this and don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. And we're like, seems like Jesus doesn't want me to have any fun at all. And, and I know people who are doing all the things that he says don't do, and I follow them on Instagram, and listen, it looks like they're having a lot of fun. I mean, listen, I know a guy, he's going on his fourth wife, and he gets like a new honeymoon every two years. That sounds kind of fun. Like, I see, I see pictures of people at the bar, and it looks like they're having a good time. Look, listen, I, I see the guy at the casino throwing away his savings account, but at least it looks fun. We have to stop seeing God as a cosmic killjoy because he's not trying to stop your fun. He's trying to stop you from becoming a slave. A few years ago when we were back in Johnsburg doing ministry, we bought a new house. It was kind of a holy moment. Somebody like literally walked up to me and was like, hey, pastor, you want to buy my house? I was like, I don't know. Like no one's ever asked me to personally buy their house before. And so there was a, a situation where they had already, they built the house, they had paid for the house, they built another house and wanted to move into that house. They're like, we're going to give you a great deal on our house. And so we bought the house. And it was great because we lived in a parsonage like two feet from the church and it was great not to live at church anymore. But one of the things that was really cool about this house is it had a huge backyard, huge backyard. And Shane was about two when we, we moved into the house and and we were like, this is going to be so much fun. The backyard's great. It's huge. We got a, a playground back there. I mean, there was stuff to play with. And like, we just wanted, you know, to enjoy this backyard. And I'll never forget when Shane was about two, probably two and a half, uh, one morning he opened the back patio door, went out on the deck, ran down the stairs to the deck, and was like running just through the yard, having the greatest time. The problem was is at the end of this huge yard was a major road. And there was no fence. See, I, I love him, so I want him to have fun in the backyard, but like, I don't want to inhibit my son's freedom, but here's what I know as a good father, playing in traffic isn't freedom. Playing in traffic's never going to end well. And so like by the end of the week, there was a fence installed. And so what Shane could have said is, Mom and Dad, you have inhibited my freedom. 
And our response would have been, we only inhibited you from experiencing things that were going to kill you. You can still play in the backyard. There's still tons of space in the backyard. There's still a playground in the backyard. There's still a little pool in the background. There's still a little trampoline in the backyard. So we didn't take anything good away. We just prohibited his access to traffic. You see, when God says no, he's not saying, I just don't want you to have any fun. He's not saying, I I want you to be a Puritan. I want you to live like a Quaker. What he's saying is, is when I say no to you, it's because I know. I know what Egypt's like. I know what sin will do to you. I know what your enemy is trying to accomplish in your life. And listen, I know everybody else is doing it, and I know all kinds of people say it's all okay, but God says, listen, I created you, and I know you, and I sent my son to die in your place for your sin, and just trust me when I say it's bad for you, it's bad for you. See, God got the people out of Egypt, but the people fought God when he tried to get the Egypt out of them. And see, God didn't just save you from sin. God wants to get the hell out of you, and he wants to get the heaven into you. And see, we find freedom when we say yes to God. I love the way that Jesus says it in John chapter 8, verse 36. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus goes, hey, I just want to tell you something. One of the things I'm here to accomplish, I've been sent by my father to set you free. I love the movie Braveheart. My wife hates it because I've watched it a hundred times. I would watch it again today and be totally enthralled in it. And I think about, I've been thinking about this all week and I told myself I wasn't going to say it, but here I am. Like Jesus is greater than William Wallace. All right, like Jesus is greater than Braveheart. He's like, listen, no, no, when I set you free, it's free indeed. Like, I don't set you just a little bit free. I don't just set you kind of free. I don't even just set you this much free. He goes, when I set you free, you are free indeed. And sin is no longer our master. And the devil only has the authority we give him in our life. It means that Jesus sets us free from sin. He sets us free from condemnation. He sets us free from the judgment and the wrath of God. He sets us free from our shame. He sets us free from our addiction. He sets us free from our bitterness. And he sets us free from both hell and death. He sets us free. Not just for this life, but for all of eternity. We're free. And see, one of the greatest tools the devil uses against the nation of Israel is the same tool that he uses against you and me, and it's simply this. The devil will always try to convince you that your past will also be your future. The devil will always try to convince you that your past will always be your future. See, one of the reasons the Israelites had so much trouble is because they couldn't see freedom. They couldn't believe God for freedom. They just assumed that slavery would always be their life. And at one point, God makes the decision that an entire generation of people who love slavery would have to die. So the next generation could enter the promised land because they had a hunger for freedom. They had a hunger for God. They wanted to see God do something he'd never 
done before. And what the devil says to you and to me, and says, yeah, yeah, you'll never be free. I know what you did. I was there. You've tried to break that habit. You've tried to break that chain. You've tried to get out. You've tried to experience freedom. And the devil says, do you really think you're ever going to get freedom? Listen, your past will also be your future. Who you've been will always be who you're going to be. And what Jesus says is, no, 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 if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. It means your past doesn't have to be your future. It means who you were isn't who God's going to make you out to be. It, does, it means that what you did doesn't matter anymore because Jesus replaced it what, with what he did for you on the cross. And so Jesus shows up and says, listen, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Now listen, I, I've been doing this for a while, and here's what I know. There's probably a few of us in the room that go, yeah, but. Listen, you don't know how long the struggle's been. You don't know how deep this goes. You don't know how hard this has been. And you're right, I don't, because you've never told me. But here's what I do know. What the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, now where the Lord is the Spirit... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Paul goes, hey, I have a guarantee for you. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Because God is a chain breaker. And if you come up this morning and say, listen, I'm just not sure it's possible. Here's what I would tell you. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, freedom's there. And the Spirit of the Lord is here this morning which means freedom is available to you. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that there's not going to be hard days. I'm not saying that there's not going to be a difficult climb ahead, but here's what I am telling you. The Lord wants to set you free. Free from sin, free from slavery, free from addiction. And you have to be reminded that greater is he who is in you than it is in the world. See, it's not about you being strong enough. It's not about you being powerful enough. It's not about you breaking the chain. It's about allowing Jesus to break the chains. And when he breaks the chains, it's about following him as he leads you out of Egypt into the promised land. And just like the nation of Israel, not only does God want to set you free, he has purpose for you. And he has family for you. And see, the problem is people in chains never really achieve their destiny. And so Jesus breaks your chains and says, hey, I have more for you. I don't just want to set you free. That's just the beginning. I actually want to fill you with purpose and identity and family. And so listen, if you're struggling this morning, I'd love to be able to pray with you and talk with you after the service. I'd invite you to come back the next two weeks as we discover that once we're free, God fills us with both purpose and family, and it changes everything. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.